I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast, Monday, July the 10th. Sam Monson here. No Steve Palazzolo again, but we have the great Brad Spielberger back. And today's show, it's a confluence of a lot of things, Brad. We've got an article on NFL.com by Chad Reuter where he's basically redrafting the NFL. Um, We have our complaints in recent uh, weeks. We've done a lot of these all 32-team type of things. And whether it's been alphabetical order, reverse alphabetical order, we were complaining that we didn't have a good way of just randomizing the teams. You know, there's we have uh, we have points in the video. What are they called? Uh, Timestamps where you can see your individual team. So it doesn't really matter what order we go in. We just needed a random way of doing it. We didn't have one. Uh, well, the mailbox has helped us out. Uh, Bobby Nelson pointed out that you can do this with a simple right click on Google Sheets. So we have an easy way of doing it if we need it. But Colton Hagen built us a legitimate like team randomizer wheel of fortune. And so we decided we had to use that today because that's way too cool a thing to simply show up in the mailbox and then disappear and only be used behind the scenes. So we're going to integrate it into the show and uh, we're going to redraft the NFL today, Brad. All 32 teams. We're going to start from scratch. Essentially, a fantasy draft, and unlike, you know, other, unlike Chad, unlike Chad Reuter's article where they've, you know, used like actual team quality to determine the draft order. If we're starting from scratch, all bets are off. Like the Chiefs might as well have the number one pick as as likely as the number thirty-two pick. So we're going to randomize them. I mean, the best part of the off-season articles where I think every publication in America uses the Super Bowl odds from mm. whatever sports book and then inverts that and, and does the draft, and there are still complaints every <laughs> single time, like, you guys are sleeping on how this team's going to take a big step this year. I'm like, I'm not sleeping on anything. I literally said exactly what I was going to do. But, hey, we're going to get weird with it, which I think is even better. Yeah, so this will be fun, I think. There's a few different uh, big questions, I think, Generally speaking, a lot of this is going to be fairly straightforward. Obviously, you know, you're going to start with quarterbacks. You're going to take the elite ones. But you run into this question of, well, how far down that list do you go before you take the first non-quarterback? You also run into this idea of, you know, we're drafting all these guys now. At what point is age a problem, right? Like how how, uh, likely are you going to be to draft a guy like Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers could easily play at an MVP level this year, but you might get one year out of him, right? Is that worth drafting in the first round of a fantasy redraft? Similarly, you know, if we did this exercise a few years ago, Aaron Donald probably would have been the first non-quarterback off the board, but Aaron Donald right now is teetering on the brink of retirement every offseason. Are you going to draft Aaron Donald early in this sort of redraft, knowing that he's probably still the best defender in the NFL, but... You might get one year out of him. You might get two years out of him before he retires. So I think that gets to be pretty interesting. And then I think, generally speaking, the order of you know the non-quarterbacks is pretty fascinating now because we're not in the we're sort of in a 
in a post-Aaron Donald landscape, even though he's still playing, just because of his age. So I think this will be a fun exercise, and uh, I'm kind of I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think the key for me for sure is building a long-term, sustainable, successful squad. Uh, so yeah, Aaron Donald's probably five years older than anybody on my list. Just to just to give a little, a little peek behind the curtain there. <laughs> There's a uh, you know if if anyone's ever done these kind of exercises, just among friends or whatever, like there's always the one guy that decides, well, everybody's going to focus on youth, right, in the future. What if I try and win now? Like I'm going to get all my guys are going to be Aaron Donald, Aaron Rodgers, going to be everybody is going to be 35 years old, and I'm going to win this season, and then we're going to rebuild. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this year's championship, and then to hell with the future. Well, I mean, there's only two of us, so the chances of us, either of us being that guy are probably slim, but, you know, who knows? We'll see. Everyone's doing you zag, Sam. I'll, you know, don't don't be afraid to win now. Taste that window. All right, but before we get into that, we've uh, we've got to tell you about our friends at uh, Gerber and uh, Fabric. What's on your family's summer bucket list? Maybe some traveling or going swimming or cookouts in the backyard. Something that should be on every parent's bucket list is protecting their children through every season of life, no matter what. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick and easy to protect your family with term life insurance policy so that you can focus on fun. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash PFF. That's meatfabric.com slash PFF NFL. In fact, not PFF, PFF NFL, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFF NFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, let's get into it. I'm most excited to fire up the actual randomizer on the TV and see the thing happen. Are you ready, Tyler? Have you been preparing? This is the big time. Look at this. It's got its own little graphic. We select the NFL, and there it is, the Wheel of Fortune. Let's randomize. Let's fire out who is going to have the number one overall pick to redraft the entire NFL and presumably get shot. I'm not going to speak for you, but gets, you know, wins the Patrick Mahomes sweepstakes. That's what we're talking Patrick about. Patrick Mahomes here. role, yes. The Los Angeles Chargers. There <laughs> we go. So, simple. The Los Angeles Chargers, they redraft, they select Patrick Mahomes. Happy as they are with Justin Herbert, they're going with Patrick Mahomes. He's the answer to this. I mean, we had the conversation with Trevor on the podcast the other day. Um, whether or not you believe that Mahomes belongs in his own tier, you know, separate from the likes of Josh Allen and Joe Burrow overall, he's clearly the number one option when it comes to this kind of thing. I think we should the thumbnail for the the pod should be a jersey swap. So I guess I'm getting <laughs> graphics on this. Just just the weirdness of looking at Patrick Mahomes in a Chargers jersey. Yeah, no. Look, I I think frankly the gap between Mahomes and the rest of the NFL is maybe understated. I know it's now becoming a popular thing to say, but consistency is a huge part of this position. And like the guy is just remarkably, remarkably consistent. Yeah, I I feel like quarterback is one of these positions where. We almost understate the volatility of it and how in any given year, yeah. five different guys could be the best quarterback in the NFL, the MVP, the, you know, the league leader in various statistical categories. But in any season, you're going to start assuming it's Mahomes, right? And that, that's why he's number one. Like whether or not Burrow pips him this year, Josh Allen, I mean, you know, Jalen Hurts gave him a run for his money last year. Like whoever it ends up being, 
you always default to the idea that Mahomes starts being that guy, so he's the number one pick. Uh, I think it's a fairly, fairly big no-brainer. Uh, all right, who's our next team? Great thing about this uh, randomizer is it remembers your picks, remembers your selection, and removes them from the Wheel of Fortune, and you can just keep going through the whole thing. This is really perfect for our needs. The Minnesota Vikings get the number two overall pick. Quasi Adolfo Mensa. Uh, he, where is he going to go, Brad? Yeah, so the, the Kirk Cousins experience finally ends. Finally. They get a, a wicked high draft pick that they've been looking for for a very long time. I, it's a conversation. For me, it's it's between Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. I think Josh Allen is more physically gifted. I think Joe Burrow is more consistent. And, and uh, you know, Flash is a, a high end from a processing standpoint, from a pre-step standpoint. Not that Allen can't do those things as well, but, um, you know, but but that is up there. I'll say this. And Allen was, I guess, bad before Stephon Diggs. But the, the the thing that Mahomes finally separated was, in my opinion, last year you stripped the team down to a degree uh, from a receiving option standpoint, and it doesn't matter. We have still haven't really seen Joe Burrow without an elite trio of wide receivers. Josh Allen has Stephon Diggs, but you know the rest of the team I don't think stacks up. I, I lean Josh Allen here, but I know that's not going to be received super well by, by many. <laughs> I think th- – so this is a really interesting one where, like, if this was a real draft, this would be the classic example of hyper-nitpicking, you know, and, like, creating giant mountains out of molehills. And you articulated, I think, one way that it would happen. The other way it would happen is we would start talking about Josh Allen's play style. He's only going to be elite for 11 years, Right. Like, that's the way he plays. He's going to limit himself physically, and the end of Josh Allen's career, it's going to be broken down, and he's not going to be able to do the same things, and we're going to be talking about a different guy, and therefore, you should go with the guy that's going to play for 15 years instead of 11. You're like, guys, what are we talking about here? If you're talking about years 12 through 15 of a guy's career, you're already, it feels like, missing the big point, which is the first 10 years are probably the bigger issue. Um, I think you're right, though. Like, it's to me, it's very much a coin flip between those two guys. Um, they're different players, they're both elite. Josh Allen, we've seen go toe to toe with Mahomes in a big game. Uh, when he's on, it feels like he brings that special to the table that there's no answer, you know, the, the things that he can do physically with his arm, with his legs, like he has an answer for everything you're bringing from a defensive point of view. It's just I think he's a little bit less consistent than a guy like Burrow, and he makes a few more mistakes overall, but offsets that with the special at the uh, at the top end. Our, you know, former um, former leader, I guess, at PFF, Neil Hornsby, his son was was hated the idea that I put uh, – Josh Allen above Joe Burrow in our quarterback rankings. So maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll listen to Alex and flip it this time around and go with Josh Allen number two. Now we need uh, who's our number three team to give Joe Burrow to. Let's spin the wheel of fortune. Here it goes. A couple franchises off the gate that just have struggled, you know, to, to get through the mountaintop. Ooh. Oh, the Rams. Okay. So the Rams end up coming coming back with Joe Burrow, the team that stopped Joey B getting his Super Bowl. Bring him on board. So there's our uh, there's our top three picks. Now's where Hollywood it gets interesting. Joe. Now's where it gets interesting. I think um, those three I think were the no brainers, the clear number one, and then the two guys that are in the same tier. Now's where I think it starts to get intriguing. Number one, because I'm not sure who the next quarterback actually is. 
Uh, but then we also get into the conversation of when that first non-quarterback goes off the board. The New York Giants end up with the number four overall pick. Where are you going with this pick? Yeah, they're obviously just going to stick with their guy, right? They just extended him. He's a great <laughs> young quarterback, had 15 touchdown passes last year. No, um, I, I, in my opinion, this is Justin Herbert. I know there's probably an argument of Jalen Hurts or Trevor Lawrence. I'm still sticking with Herbert here. You know, rookie record for touchdown passes. He is limits negative plays as well as any quarterback in the NFL. Now with Kellen Moore, I think his average depth of target will be more than five yards down the field. And I think we'll see more from him. Talk about a guy with athletic gifts, uh, you know, th that are pretty special and pretty rare. I think we haven't even seen the best yet of Justin Herbert. Uh, it's a fairly easy answer for me, but I, I get the arguments for other guys, no question. Yeah, it's a big year for Justin Herbert, I think, in terms of sort of showing exactly where he does belong in this whole quarterback landscape. Chad Reuter's article, interestingly, had him at seven, which feels really harsh to me. Um, I think from the sort of blowback a little bit, the last time we talked about Herbert and his rankings, it, people forget that the guy played basically the entire year with wrecked ribs last season. You know, we were discussing the semantics of what exactly torn or what was it? Broken cartilage was, I think, the technical term. But like, so that guy, I don't know what that, like, I've never experienced that, but it sounds really harsh um, for a position where people are basically trying to hit you in the ribs every single play. Like, he played the entire season, effectively, with that injury hampering him to some degree or other. Now, obviously, the length of time he dealt with it changed the dynamics of how bad that was. But initially, it looked like he wouldn't be able to play with that kind of injury and yet was able to make some crazy plays with it. And then as the year wore on, he obviously adjusted and, and it became more easy to manage but when you're sort of looking at his 2022 season and debating how good or not he was you have to bear that in mind like that was a huge part of that season um and every other sort of data point suggests that this guy is capable of phenomenal plays and as you said has led the league with the lowest uh turnover worthy play rate over the last two sec uh, consecutive seasons now I think we're in a world where it's a little bit like Russell Wilson at his peak and a little bit like Aaron Rodgers when he wasn't quite at that MVP level where everybody feels like there's a, a little bit more to come. There's a, a percentage we're missing, and that's what Kellen Moore has been brought in to try and get to, to try and tap into, is can you realize that last few percentage points of Justin Herbert? But if he can, then this guy probably belongs in that top tier. Like, he belongs with the Joe Burrows and the Josh Allens. Um, and I the think, only thing yeah. that keeps him out of that is the question yeah. of whether or not that sort of conservatism is a little bit inherent in him and not something that Kellen Moore can tap into. It's actually part of who he is. But even if it is, he still belongs, I think, as that number four guy. I think the data point that shows maybe it's not him or that he still can play through that is uh, over the last three years since he's been in the NFL, he is our highest graded passer on third and fourth down and seven plus. And, and there's the one game against the Raiders where yeah. he converted, what, like four fourth and tens. It's one of the most impressive games, I think, of the last like three or four years in the NFL. 
Um, and I think it just shows that he has that in him. He obviously has ridiculous arm strength, all those things. Um, I, I really do think he was to a degree being held back by the play call. And they also faced probably the most, I would imagine, the most third and fourth and seven pluses uh, of any team in the NFL. But yeah, he, he highest graded passer in that situation. Um, and, and I think you see why. So I do think Kellen Moore is going to going to take that next step with him. That's a really good data point um, to bring up. It's such an awkward thing to try and highlight because you're always talking in in these conversations you're always talking about like elite players right so it feels like you're sort of you're almost pointing to a flaw that isn't there but you're not trying to say this is why they're bad you're saying this is why they're not Peyton Manning right like this is why they're not the best guy in the end like Justin Herbert if you could tap into this missing five percent and like consistent aggression would basically be Patrick Mahomes but the thing that right now that's separating him from that is the fact that he's skewing on the conservative side of things. And Rodgers had this as well for his entire career. Like, Rodgers still has, what, the one of the top interception rates in NFL history in terms of the, the lowest? Probably like, number one, right. I would imagine. Um, <laughs> and has always been there and has always sort of skewed at the low end of that. Like, the, the number of, of seasons where he's had, like, 30-something touchdowns, four interceptions. Like, it's ridiculous. Even if he's been a little bit lucky in a couple of those years, he's always skewed towards that end of the spectrum – and he's always taken a few more sacks and thrown the ball away a little bit more to create that. Um, and yet, whenever you sort of bring that up as, you know, does Rodgers need to cut it loose a little bit more, someone will always pull out a play where, you know, he, he finds a window that doesn't really exist, like fires it into a tight window, hits a guy in stride, just, you know, just gets it past a defender that's in, in tight coverage and blah, blah. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, He's doing this. You're like, yeah, well, he is, but when you roll it all together and you look at 500 pass attempts, there's 15 too many that are in this sort of category, right, where he's not making that throw. And it's, it's that balance that is the thing that separates, like, all-time great from really, really good player, but not quite at that level. And Rodgers is even closer because he is an all-time great. But the thing that was separating him from being – Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and from getting a second Super Bowl ring was a bunch of those plays and I think right now Herbert is sort of trapped in that dimension with the question of is it him is it the offensive coordinators that have been there thus far in the same kind of way as we were talking about with Rodgers and his slight downturn like is it him is it Mike McCarthy don't really know yet but I think that's the conversation we're having with Herbert right now which is why this year is so big for him. Yeah, no, no, I echo all those sentiments. I mean, maybe Rodgers sat on the bench and watched Brett Favre, so he overcorrected <laughs> and really swung in the other direction. But, but yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And, and like to, to the turnover-worthy play rate point, yeah, part of that's because he's, you know, his 49th in, in average depth of target out of 60 quarterbacks um, over that same stretch. Like, you just can't have that. And, and again, it's not all the offensive coordinator. He also could unleash it more if he wanted to, I'm sure. So, yeah, I think this year is going to be a huge year for both of those people, uh, you know, more as well to kind of prove he can go out on his own, play for a coach for a defensive head coach. And I, I think it's going to work. All right. Who's our, uh, who's our next team? Who has, what are we, the fifth overall pick of this redraft? Spin the Wheel of Fortune. And we are going to get the Houston Texans. PFF Bobby. Houston. PFF Bobby, by the way, he's not quite dead to us anymore because he did reply to the text that me and Steve sent him. He is, however, 
declining to come on the podcast currently and says if and when he gets a head coaching job, then he'll show up to the podcast. Which I, I'm not I sure. respect that entirely. I, I mean, mean good, I, like, I'm good for Bobby. I mean, first of all, he's got a rookie quarterback trying to you know instill a new offense. So um, I'm sure he's probably sleeping at the office uh, if I if I would guess. Um, but yeah, head coach Bobby, I think that's that's the goal for everybody. Absolutely. I mean, we're all on board with that goal. I just feel like he could make an appearance on the podcast before that. You know. Now that he's got it, like, he's offensive coordinator, Bobby, now. He's got to do, like, media and stuff. He's already talked to Austin Gale for The Ringer or whoever it is he writes for now. Um, he's had to do these things. It's just he's, he's declining to show up on the podcast that used to be part of his job. And I find that, I find that unfortunate. Anyway, where's Bobby, where's PFF Bobby going? So yeah, you do you want to calls. not gift him an elite quarterback now? Is that what you're saying? You want to give him like a, a strong safety or no? I I I wouldn't sink to that level of pettiness. I, I feel like he gets he gets who he should should get at this spot. So Houston Texans with the fifth overall pick, uh, who's that going to be? For me, it's probably Trevor Lawrence. Uh, again, I would understand an argument for Jalen Hurts, 110. percent I like both guys have. Uh, the ability to use their legs in this offense, which I think will be an element that adds another dimension and, and keeps defenses guessing. Um, I think Lawrence kind of underrated. He's not. He's not going to run the ball 15 times a game, but uh, he's got good, you know, escapability and, and can do that from time to time. A couple keepers did it. A bunch of Clemson. Anyway, second half of last season, and I was. I'm not a hater, but I definitely was. He was being anointed. I thought a little bit early, but I think second half of last season, you saw why, and, and you started to see all the pieces get put together. Um, his rookie year was basically a throwaway with Urban Meyer, um, and and, and it, the game just slowed down for him last year. There were a couple games, I'm blanking who the opponents were, where he was just unconscious and, and had those moments where you're like, this guy, if he can do this eight, nine games a week, uh, a season, those are automatic wins, and this team can win, you know, twelve games a year uh, because of how simply of how good he is. So I think he's going to get into that conversation th- this season. So I feel like we have a sort of second tier of guys here that are probably going to go as the the next wave of quarterbacks and then it, it gets really interesting but in similar to where we had uh, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow as that clear one two three then I think we got the guys you've been talking about which is Herbert, Trevor Lawrence um, the, uh, but then my question is does Lamar Jackson belong in this tier or are we scared are we nitpicking enough with his injury history now that he slips like are we now scared of this idea that that guy's missed significant time in the last couple of years he's a quote-unquote running quarterback he's right now he's the cautionary tale of why those guys didn't tend to get picked at the top of the draft or at least like would always get that negative conversation before the draft anytime a guy like that by which I mean hyper-athletic quarterback who's going to use his legs it's always been part of the conversation, right? And usually it's overblown. It's sort of missing the the wood for the trees. But is, have we actually reached that point now where Lamar falls out of the second tier because of his injury history? In the second tier, I mean, I think he's probably, you know, near the end of the cluster, but I think he certainly belongs in the cluster. And we're talking about, you know, Kellen Moore going to the, the Chargers. I think Todd Munkin and these new weapons they brought in, you know, he really has not had much to work with at times as well, which you have to factor in. So, yeah, I think he's still in the tier. I, I Obviously, he's the highest paid player in NFL history now, so he's got to back it up. But right. I, I think he will. And, you know, former, what, was that was a unanimous MVP selection, right? So mm-hmm. unanimous MVP Highest paid player in the league, still the most dynamic playmaker in the NFL, just that, you know, 
special athlete, blah, blah, blah. He's got all these things. He's got to be in the conversation to being drafted, you know, four, five, like this next tier. I think he's absolutely in that discussion. Lawrence is probably the guy for me. Um, it's all about priors, I think, right? Like the only thing separating right now, Trevor Lawrence, if you're going that way, from Jalen Hurts or Lamar Jackson is when Trevor Lawrence came out, he was being talked as talked about as the best quarterback prospect since you know, insert your guy here, right? Andrew Luck, 2012, so that's a decade. If you're going back before that, it was Peyton Manning. That's 98. That's 25 years. Um, if you're going back before that, and some people did, it's John Elway, and that was 1983. So, I mean, that is the, the very definition of generational, right? We're talking 2012, 98, 83. That's the kind of jump we were talking about for the quality of quarterback prospect that he was being compared against. And now because that back end of last year happened from week nine on, he was the second highest graded quarterback at PFF and forget the grades. His numbers were looking like Joe Burrow and and Patrick Mahomes. Like it was 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions, something like that. He was looking exactly like that guy. And the roster around him looks like it's moving in the right direction as well. Like everything is there for this year for Trevor Lawrence to like truly arrive and be like an MVP candidate and all those kinds of things. And because the sort of prior billing was so special, you default to the idea that his ceiling is probably still higher than Jalen Hurts, who has had a better career to this point, but was a lower draft pick, was coming from a you know a lower point, a lower starting position. So I think your sort of default position is always Lawrence can be better. He's also throwing to, I think we kind of gloss over this fact. Like he'd never thrown a pass to Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, like in his life. Like it was a brand new team. And obviously he dropped Calvin Ridley in as well. Right. And they probably had time since the trade the deadline to work together. But like yeah, it's a sophomore quarterback trying to figure things out and build chemistry with an entirely new group of weapon uh, weapons around him. Yeah, it's not a knock on the guys below. And this is also where, if, for me, if we get in the conversation of uh, are we incorporating contracts, you get another rookie contract year of Trevor Lawrence this year, so you get the cheap year. I'm sure he'll make $60 million a year after the season if he plays like we think he will, but but that does factor in. If we're doing about, you know, right now, you get one more cheap year out of him. All right, who's up? Who's our next team? Um, what are we, the number six overall pick at this point? Wheel of Fortune spins. Oh, the Kansas City Chiefs. So Patrick Mahomes is gone, but they're still with a top six draft pick. They get to restock at the quarterback position, give Andy Reid an elite signal caller. Where are they going? Uh, this is fascinating. I mean, you could give him the guy he just beat in the Super Bowl from his old team. <laughs> I actually would just love to see Lamar Jackson in an Andy Reid offense uh-huh. and, you know, see what they can cook up with just his ability to, I mean, just put stress on defenses and just utilize every athlete on the field in, in various different ways. Um, I'm sure they would create something magical. So, anyway, we would just talk about it. those guys. And then I think we get into, we'll get into the conversation of like, where does Dak Prescott and some other names fall? But uh, I still think we're on quarterback for now, but we're, we're almost done. I think. Yeah. So do I. So let's buzz through this, this group of quarterbacks. And then I think that's where the discussion starts. So we're giving the chiefs Lamar. I, I like Lamar. All right, let's do it. I like that. Uh, Lamar Jackson goes to an Andy Reid offense and I think everybody is pretty excited that number seven, I think, is probably where we tap out at quarterbacks. 
uh, or at least get to the end of this, the discussion, the end of the tier two guys. So let's find out who our number seven overall pick is, get that done. And then I think we have a conversation. Ooh, Miami Dolphins. So another offensive minded team with uh, Mike McDaniel there that leaves them with the, the kind of one remaining quote unquote tier two quarterback based off last year, Jalen hurts. Yeah, I think he showed enough. I think the Super Bowl performance was huge, not to base an opinion on one game, and obviously he was phenomenal all season long, but going up against a dynamic, high-powered offense, having to throw, the opponent knows you have to throw the entire game, and, you know, we saw against the Bucks in the playoffs before, you know, I think when the game script was not exactly stacked in his favor, it could cause problems. And I think you could have nitpicked during last season. We had the Eagles with the easiest strength of schedule in the NFL and things like that. But I think all that goes out the window um, with what he did through the playoffs. Niners game was tough, but but it was for everyone who played the Niners. Um, but yeah, that, that Chiefs game for me just kind of like solidified. It was kind of Stroud against Georgia reminiscent where it just showed another level um, attacking outside the numbers, attacking over the middle of the field. I mean, going after one-on-one matchups and trusting AJ Brown to make plays, um, or also being smart, talking it, or you know, d- dumping it off to Dallas Goddard. Like I think he just showed complete command of an offense in the biggest moment, and, and I think it just like any questions I had left were were just gone. Yeah, he's he's a difficult kind of. So there's some people out there that are still far from Jalen Hurts believers and, you know, think it's too soon and last season was a flash in the pan and blah, blah, blah. And we say all the time, you know, quarterback development is not this linear straight line. It just gets better. It's not a Madden game, right? Where it's just going to get better year on year. Uh, But right now, that's exactly what Jalen Hurts' NFL career looks like, right? It started off with a PFF grade of 56 and then it went up to 70-something, then it went up to 86. Like, it's been this perfect linear line and like the numbers across the board look that way as well. Like almost every single number you look at, it's again that easy, simple progression. Like passer rating went from 77 to 87 to 101. Uh, Turnover-worthy play rate went from 4.6% to 3.3 to 1.9. Like every number you look at, it's just been progressing in exactly the right direction. So number one, the fact that every single data point has kind of done that, I think is probably a good indication that it's real and not just you know, a product of chance and environment and all those kinds of things. Um, like I was, I was a pretty big Jalen Hurts detractor when he was coming out. I did not like what I'd seen from his college tape, even though the numbers were spectacular. I thought he was slow to do anything, like to process, to just get anything done was, was taking an age. And he's really impressed in terms of how he's developed in the NFL. And last season, I, I agree with you, it was really uh, a phenomenal improvement from him. And we can debate where the credit belongs. Like, is it A.J. Brown? Is it that offense has put him in a great position? Is it the offensive line that's been the best in the NFL? Is it him? Like, what's driving the bus? But to an extent, I don't think it matters as long as the actual improvement is real, which I think it has been so far. And I don't see any significant reason why it's going to regress hard next season and as long as it doesn't he belongs in that second tier of uh guys you would start a franchise with 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like, obviously, the surrounding circumstances are great. Um, both sides of the ball it helps have a good defense too. But I, I just think you can now separate his talent and his ability, and and you know, to the strength of schedule point that I brought up. Like, they also demolished all these teams too. It's not like they were scraping by. Like, right. he was putting teams away in the third quarter, um, and, and that requires it simply requires good quarterback play, even you know, removing everything else. And there's there's no good way to quantify this, right? But. I also feel that there's something very real to that guy's ability to respond to adversity. Like when you think of what he's dealt with throughout his NFL career, or forget NFL career, throughout his career broadly, he has dealt with way more adversity than most of these quarterbacks who, you know, were. And so Jalen Hurts was at the helm of a juggernaut in terms of Alabama, but then was benched on literally the biggest college stage there is in the national championship game for cause, right? Like he was he was the worst option. They put in Tua, Tua was better, Tua sparked the team, and then he had to go somewhere else and rebuild his reputation. And he did and came back better. And then, you know, did it again in terms of being a second round draft pick. And a lot of people didn't like that pick because they already had Carson Wentz and, you know, why are we bringing in this guy? Like every step of the way, there's been some adversity, gets on the field, isn't a good passer, struggles right away. You know, there's every time there's been a setback, he's gone, okay, dusted himself off, come back better, like rededicated himself. And I think there's something real to that. Like being able to take that adversity, channel it into somehow getting better in the future is exactly what you're supposed to do. But most quarterbacks, like most of these guys get to the NFL without ever having suffered a setback because they've just been at, they've been the best guy throughout their entire careers, generally they're at the helm of these juggernauts, and it's unthinkable that they will ever be benched at the helm of, you know, a college juggernaut prospect. Okay, maybe they'll lose in the playoff game or a title game, but, like, that's the biggest setback they have to deal with, whereas Hertz has really gone a hard road. It, it's a huge point. I, obviously, this is a PFF podcast. We're not going to dive into, like, intangibles and stuff, but <laughs> we're starting a franchise. Like, he yeah. might be – the 1.1 of just like dudes you want everyone else in the locker room to emulate and and just follow like you said i think those guys i mean what was the stat like trevor lawrence hadn't lost a game since like sophomore year of high school until the jaguars right. first season like like it's stuff it, it is it's it's lessons you have to learn eventually once you're at the nfl level um and, and i think that that dude's carrying around a lot of lessons and and limericks and good quotes and all that uh and i think it's it comes from trials not from you know just skating by his entire life all right, who's our next team to fire up? Because now I think is when the conversation starts to get kind of interesting. There is still quarterback options, but some of them are, you know, older, like Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers could easily be an MVP this season. The Dallas Cowboys are up. Um, Rodgers could be an MVP this season, but he's, what, 40? Like, how old is Aaron Rodgers at this point? 140. Yeah. You're getting one or two years out of him which the Jets are fine with, given the history that they've got, given where they are there with their current state of, of everything. But if you're starting a franchise from scratch, to me, he's just off the board. Like, he, he, wouldn't, he would not be a high draft pick that I'm considering. I'm only considering Rodgers if, like, I don't end up getting a quarterback. I go in a different direction at, in the first couple of rounds, and then I can circle back later in the draft and I have Rodgers for a couple of years. Like that, he's that's where he would be to me in this exercise. But after Rodgers, you know, you're down to interestingly, Dak Prescott as probably the next best quarterback available, or 
at what point do you start considering the likes of you know Justin Jefferson or the first non-quarterback coming off the board? Kind of hate this is Dallas because now if <laughs> slash when we skip Dak Prescott, we're going to get flack for it because I, I think he is that next guy for me. I know we probably don't want to talk about him a whole bunch, but if Deshaun Watson bounces back this year and looks like the Deshaun Watson of old, he's probably in this conversation uh, as well on the football field. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm down to make it interesting. We've done quarterbacks. I'm down to pivot and, and start going with some non QBs here. Yeah. Cowboys fans are going to hate us. And, and for me, Right now, the most valuable non-quarterback in the NFL is Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota Vikings. I think that's true. If so, I think for the sake of you know making this slightly interesting, we're gonna lean in the direction you suggested, which is you know let's let's go away from quarterback as soon as you can make a reasonable argument for it. Effectively, is the the point we're making. Um, if you were doing it, sort of a genuine like intellectual exercise how deep would you go before you were taking the first non-quarterback because then you're saying you're starting a franchise like so you're starting honestly like this was where my list ended because i I think you i mean look dak probably gets taken i I think dak is worth it he's 28 years old something like that he could play for another 10 years for all we know um and, and is a very good football player in my opinion so but I really do think at a certain point I would be like, okay, you know what? Now, instead of taking the ninth or 10th best quarterback and, and and so on, if that person I don't think has upside, right? If it's not like, all right, we're going to start talking Justin Fields or we start talking like guys we believe in. But for me, like I'm not sitting there and drafting Jared Goff and Derek Carr and Kirk Cut. Like I just – I would rather just – you know, play somebody else and and try to draft that player going forward and build an elite offensive line for him to th- work with or receivers to throw to. Um, I just, yeah, it'll, it's it's pretty quick when I start pivoting to. I'll just go, you know, go with a, a journeyman veteran and, and look for a kid in the future. Yeah, because so it's not quite as clean as you know. I was just pulling up the WAR numbers, um, and if you use PFF WAR, obviously we know quarterback is so more so powerful relative to any other position when it comes to moving the needle for wins and losses that you have to go all the way down to number to thirty one for the first non quarterback in terms of value towards wins last season, and actually it's tied with Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill. So those are the two guys. That you that are that they're first off the board, but in this list of quarterbacks that are above those guys are backups or players that only played half the season. You know, Brock Purdy is worth more to last season's WAR than any other non-quarterback, like to, than Justin Jefferson, even though he only played whatever it was six games or started six games. Um, but I, it's not as simple as that that you just take a quarterback until you don't have because you're going to be able to come back and get one later right you're not this is who you would start the franchise with this is your franchise draft your expansion draft from nothing it's not you get one shot at a quarterback and then you're done you get to come back later you get to get Aaron Rodgers in the fifth round and you know play him for a couple of years or you get to draft a younger guy later on so I think you do draft these guys higher doubt this is right where you're on the cusp I think you can make a pretty solid argument that Prescott is significantly let's like a better option than anybody remaining when you consider age when you consider what he can do with the right supporting cast that you do take him but i'm okay going justin jefferson at this point we give dallas jefferson a move on 
I think we should, and I realize now we're going to piss them off twofold because Micah Parsons <laughs> probably has the has the other That's argument true. as the most valuable non-quarterback. So yeah, let's go Justin Jefferson. Just just you know why not? Excellent. <laughs> All right, who's our uh, number ten pick, and then we'll do a little bit of a recap here and run down the top ten. The Denver Broncos get the number ten overall pick. The uh, Sean Payton can come in and not have to deal with the Russell Wilson problem. He'll have a different problem instead. What are we going to give uh, Sean Payton to work with? I believe this is a ninth overall pick. Maybe I counted wrong. But, uh, shoot, I mean, they would probably take Dak Prescott or or whoever in a heartbeat over their current situation. But for me, uh, all jokes aside, I know now he's been talking about making a full transition into an edge rusher, focusing almost entirely on coming off the edge. And and I think we take for granted just how good Micah Parsons already is. Um, I think he is maybe the most dynamic defensive player in the NFL, um, shows up elite in every underlying metric, pass rush, win rate, pressure percentage, all those things, and can still carry number three receivers out of the slot and, 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 you know, follow running backs if they leak out. Like he's absurd. Uh, I think, he has an argument, honestly, with Justin Jefferson, I think, which says a ton because I think Jefferson's, you know, first three seasons are probably the best ever at the position. So for me, it's Micah Parsons going to Denver, get them an elite pass rusher and uh, figure things out from there. Yeah, I think Parsons is obviously in the conversation. Um, he's so much more versatile than the other guys. But I think you would also, as soon as you start talking about the best edge rusher, you're bringing in Nick Bosa, you're bringing in Miles Garrett. Those guys are both young enough that they're definitely in the conversation. I, I said before that tied with Justin Jefferson last year in terms of PFF war was Tyreek Hill. But for this exercise, you're going to separate them because Jefferson is way younger. You know, Tyreek Hill is 29. It's it's not like he's done, but a wide receiver that may be the fastest and most explosive player in the NFL at 29, that is like that's a worry because as soon as he loses a step, we're talking about a different player. Now, still one of the fastest players in the NFL, but I think that's a very different conversation than, you know, other receivers or even like other players who can play who have many years left despite you know their age like with Hill given what drives his his ability that I think age is a concern for him and then of course my perspective the next two years you're paying Tyreek about 50 million and the next two years you're paying Michael Parsons about eight million nine million <laughs> uh I have in front of me but but yeah so that that also uh, is gonna you know I- intrigue me quite a bit you get two probably unless the, the Cowboys should be smart maybe and just extend him after three seasons but for non-quarterbacks usually they wait like Nick Bosa this offseason um, until that fourth year so that's I mean maybe the best value you're getting in the entire draft frankly besides the quarterbacks because right. you know Jefferson might, might get done a year earlier the the funny thing about Michael Parsons to me is that his versatility is it's almost a negative uh, to me because I just don't think I don't think coaches are good enough yet uh, not good enough that's not the wrong way of doing it like the I don't think it's possible to maximize his abilities in in an NFL defense the way it's currently set up right like I in in college you can take a guy like that and certainly in high school and just say you're the best player on the field we're going to use you everywhere you're going to be the dude like and on both sides of the ball you can do that in college like Watch the way Arkansas deployed Traylon Burks, where they just said you were going to line up at every single position on offense and get the ball in your hands 
as many different ways as we can do it because you're the best playmaker we have, and that is our best route to success. And you can do that in defense, like Isaiah Simmons. You know, there's so many of these guys that play this hybrid role or move all the way around to defense at the at the college level, and then you get to the NFL, and even that sort of 50-50 gig that he had year one, it's it doesn't quite work. And it's like, well, just we're better just moving you to an edge rusher. Like just you play that every now and again. We're going to need you to like peel with the running back and you know run down the sideline. But basically, you're playing edge rusher because that's the best way you impact the game for us. So as excited as we are by all the things Micah Parsons can do and all the things the player, Jerwin Dames, you know, in, in Los Angeles can do, like all the different things that he could do, practically they don't do them because defense is just – it's not – it doesn't work. Like you, you're not – you can't tap into that versatility as much as you think you should be able to. No, it's a great point. I think really like the the Jalen Ramsey, Marlon Humphrey type dudes that can play inside out is maybe about as as flexible as you want to get. I was having this conversation, um, you know, it's like the, when the first compliment you make about an offensive lineman is that like he is inside outside right. flex. It's like okay, well he's not he's not very good at, at either. He's just like solid at both. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. So it's like so when you start talking about Parsons, like obviously he's so incredible because of all these different things that he can do. But when you start factoring, like when you're doing this exercise, all you're really doing is saying, who's the better edge rusher, Micah Parsons, Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett. Like the other stuff, it's, it's nice, but is it actually materially affecting your season? Most of the, most of the time, the answer is probably no. Like obviously if you, in certain schemes, that ability to play in coverage, et cetera, is going to be more valuable. Like, you know, the Steelers still require T.J. Watt, and, and he should probably be in that conversation as well. The Steelers still require T.J. Watt to drop into coverage more often than, say, Miles Garrett is going to have to, right? But generally speaking, the difference between those guys is pretty small and I think is certainly smaller than, like, the hype surrounding Micah Parsons' versatility, which is very real. I just don't think it has that much of a practical application. You know, I think you want that to be way closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, the, the, not that he's always like carrying number threes up the, up the seam or anything, but I remember I mean, this is a random tangent, but like, you know, Vic Fangio used to drop Khalil Mack in coverage probably a hundred times a season. Right. And I was like, and he's a, you know, elite athlete, all those things too. He wasn't bad at it, but I'm like, these are a hundred snaps. He could have just been rushing the quarterback that probably would have yielded more, more benefit to the team. But, but yeah, he, he does bring that ability. Anyway, even also this though, honestly, if you're talking potential and maybe now if we're thinking what he can do by solely focusing on hand in the dirt and just getting after the quarterback, he could even be better. And he already has a decent arsenal of pass rush moves. He's not a one-trick pony, um, and that could only improve you know, with a full offseason dedicated to just doing that. Oh, I'm with you. Like In terms of like if you limit the conversation to just who is the best edge rusher, he might not quite be the best edge rusher right now, but when you consider how young he is – at that role, um, he could be next year. Like I think his pass rush win rate was already off the charts. Miles uh, uh, Garrett's was pretty special as well. But if you're factoring in the idea that he is just getting used to this gig, and as insane as Miles Garrett is, as insane as Nick Bosa is, you know, and and T.J. Watt as well, I think is is a fair addition to that. Like. They didn't make you think of of uh, Lawrence Taylor 
when yeah. in their rookie years, right? Like Nick Bosa was fantastic. He had a PFF grade above 80. He, you know, looked like the next dominant pass rusher right out of the gate. But you weren't looking at him going, this is the second coming of Lawrence Taylor. You were when you saw Micah Parsons out there. And it, it was real. Like it wasn't, this is ridiculous hyperbole. It's like that guy plays the game differently to other people. And now that he's getting this full-time gig as an edge rusher, we're seeing exactly what that can do. Yeah, no, he is. He's a rare breed. He's different. Uh, I think you can tell when you watch him. So th this for me is an easy one. I guess we're, we're still on the same page. It's going to get yeah. maybe controversial or right. uh, contentious here in the near future. So here's our number 10 actual pick, having jumped the gun a little bit. Denver Broncos with the number nine. Go Micah Parsons. Number 10. Ooh, we get the Las Vegas Raiders. Maybe the Raiders want to pivot pivot back to quarterback after going from Derek Carr to Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> so maybe they want us to, to pivot back. But it's interesting too. We didn't we didn't bring up Max Crosby's name. He probably should have had a, an honorable mention in the conversation we just had um, as well. I, I mean, this gets interesting too because we also have not taken a tackle yet. I think you could make a fair argument for a Tristan Wirfs type player, um, even if you think edge and wide receiver are, are more impactful positions, which probably is a fair argument. Uh, I think there is the unit nature of offensive line. You know, shout out Joe Thomas; he knows all about that, but. I think we are in that range now where maybe, you know, you could start arguing for one of these elite young tackles as well. Yeah, and I, so this is, I think Dak Prescott is still an interesting name because it's right on the borderline of, you know, we lean Justin Jefferson because he's special. We lean Micah Parsons because he's special. Um, there's only so many of those special players, right? And it's as soon as you run out of those, you probably pivot back to Dak Prescott, who's not special as a quarterback, but is good, really good, um, and clearly capable of playing at a sort of lead leading level in terms of overall offensive production if everything around him is good enough, which is the kind of play you need to win a Super Bowl. So just because you start going away from quarterback doesn't mean that you're done at that position for a while. Like, I think Prescott is one of maybe two guys that I would come back to pretty quickly once we run out of these, like, really elite alternative options. Oh, you're right. You're right. It, it's like the, the value in there is getting a guy that's just on a, on his own tier, um, which I think, you know, Jefferson and, and Parsons were, but then it does shit back to quarterback. So uh, we could give the uh, black and gold or the uh, – what am I trying to say? Silver and gold Silver can get some, get the Prescott. Black. I mean, that would be huge for them. That that would <laughs> that's what they actually need in real life right now more than anything else as well. So I'd give him Dak. Let's give him Dak. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's our that's our top ten roundup, and then we're going to start to speed up through this, lest this be a three hour podcast. Los Angeles Chargers number one with Patrick Mahomes. Minnesota Vikings number two with. Uh, didn't we give him Joe Burrow? Didn't we flip it? No, I. Josh I, Allen was second. That's right. Yeah. I. Uh, I reversed my previous ranking. So Minnesota Vikings with Josh Allen, number two. Uh, Los Angeles Rams with Joe Burrow at number three. New York Giants, Justin Herbert at number four. The Houston Texans and PFF Bobby with Trevor Lawrence at number five. The Chiefs get Lamar Jackson to pair with Andy Reid. The Miami Dolphins get Jalen Hurts at number seven. Dallas Cowboys go the first non-quarterback off the board and get Justin Jefferson. The Denver Broncos continue that trend, get Micah Parsons. And then the Raiders jump back into the quarterback marketplace and get Dak Prescott. So who's our number 11 team coming up? Let's see. Wheel of Fortune spins. And we get the Carolina Panthers. 
So the Carolina Panthers with the number 11 pick, I think that's probably it for quarterbacks for a while, depending on what you think um, about uh, Deshaun Watson. He would be the one other guy, I think, that we've seen in his past has that kind of level of play, but it's been a while, and last year was bad. So, you know, what do you think about him? Yeah, I would table him for later, no question. I think, obviously, we are going to go with players that have shown it in the NFL, which I think makes a whole lot of sense. I do, I do love Bryce Young as a prospect. I think it's funny. Again, the team landing here is interesting. We probably don't take rookies, though. Uh, I don't think we're doing a divide draft. I don't know if we're taking Caleb Williams here, but I, I'm not sure if he's he's eligible for the, this draft just yet. Maybe, no. maybe jumping the gun a bit. Um, no, I think I'm with you. I think we now start talking about elite players uh, outside of quarterback, receivers, edge rushers, and tackles. I think it's between, you mentioned Nick Bosa, Jamar Chase, I think is in this conversation, and maybe Tristan Wirfs. I think it's it's one of those three players for me. Yeah, to me, I think all the value for a while is with those edge rushers that we talked about with Micah Parsons, the Miles Garretts, the Nick Bosa's, the TJ Watts of the world. Um, the other couple of players that I would throw into the list, I think you're right, Jamar Chase is in that conversation. I think you can make a case that Sauce Gardner is in there as well. It's on a smaller sample size of information, but he was so good last year that, and the position is so valuable that I think you can make the case. You know, we were, we said it at draft time. We didn't push it maybe as hard as we should have, but why wasn't he in the discussion for number one overall that year, right, given how important an elite cornerback is? And, you know, if, if Jacksonville had drafted him a number one overall and he'd had that kind of season, like that's that's huge for that defense. So I think he belongs in that conversation. Um, I think Aaron Donald is probably in the same category as uh, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback in terms of he's just too old to rely on at this point, but Chris Jones isn't. And as soon as you get into the Chris Jones sweepstakes i think he's the best guy from that interior group but the rest aren't far behind so that's probably the clutch of players that i'm thinking about next yeah chris jones is is a good throw in as well um i think he kind of separated himself last year like he's not maybe in the aaron donald tier because i think donald is you know maybe the best defensive player of all time but i think as good as much as i like jeffrey simmons dexter lawrence quinn williams like i think it's Donald, small step, Chris Jones, and a decent little jump still to that next cluster of, of young studs at the position. I don't know if I take him top 12. He's, what, 29, yeah. about to get paid uh, a monstro- monstrosity of a contract, which he has certainly earned. But, yeah, I don't know. For me, I'm still tethered to, like, the, the boasts of the, the younger dudes that, that haven't gotten paid yet. Jamar Chase, you know, maybe the, the best example there. Yeah, I think we start taking off these edge rushers now. So I would – lean towards Miles Garrett based off the the group that are left. The Garretts, the Bosa's, the TJ Watts. I think Miles Garrett has been the best player of that trio and gets overlooked because he's been playing on a worse defense with the numbers that don't look as good. You know, I think it was very, very difficult to separate those guys last year, but there were a couple of numbers where when you dove into it, you found Miles Garrett looking like a superstar and Nick Bosa beating up on some bad players a little bit more. Yeah, no, I mean, number one for us in pass rush grade two years in a row. He uh, His uh, pass rush win rate of 22.6% is three full percentage points ahead of, I think it is Bosa in second place. But still, like a pretty sizable gap 
Yeah. Um, you know, uh, between the, t- the two, he's second in sacks too. It's not like he's a guy that like we're trying to talk up because he hasn't had the sack numbers. It's like both sides, I think, has 34 over the last few years, and Garrett has like 32 or 31. So it's not like he's even trailing in that department by a, a noticeable amount. And yeah, now you bring in Zadarius Smith, Dalvin Tomlinson, Jim Schwartz to call plays. I mean, we Trevor and I guessed it on this show and talked about records that could be broken. I, I think Miles Garrett might. I mean, set our record for pass rush grade for an edge rusher. I think he might get in the 20-plus sack conversation. I I think he's the best doing it right now. Cool. So Carolina at number 11 goes Miles Garrett, who's our number 12 team with the uh, Wheel of Fortune. I'm still blown away that somebody built this thing for us. Chicago Bears. There we go. There we go. Brad's Bears. Number 12. Where are they going? I want to go Jamar Chase here. I just we can go edge rusher. We can go right back to it. We can go Nick Bosa, which they certainly need. They probably have the worst edge unit in the NFL. Yes. Um, <laughs> I just want to give them that young, dynamic wide receiver. Uh, finally, once and for all, love DJ Moore. I, I hope to love DJ Moore. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I it's between Bosa and Jamar for me. Yeah, I don't hate that. I, th- I think these guys are all really closely ranked, and it's. It's like that classic situation in the draft where your pick comes up. There's three players that are all great, that are all positions of need. You can't go wrong. So all for it. Chicago drafts Jamar Chase. We need the number 13 overall pick coming up now. We need the, uh, we need the sound effect, right? That like clackety, clackety, clack when this thing's spinning. That's right. Browns. Cleveland Browns. Uh-oh. What, what, what the hell happened? Oh, no, it's a reset. Yes, Cleveland Browns. Get the uh, number 13 pick. So where are the Browns going? Would they bring back Deshaun Watson at 13? Did they bring back Deshaun Watson? Did they lose Miles Garrett and just get a little bit younger with Nick Bosa? Um, I would lean Bosa. I would lean Bosa for them. Just have that elite edge rusher. I mean, they used an overall pick on Garrett in 2017, and it mm-hmm. worked out magically. So no no fear of using a top 15 or on a, on a guy of his caliber. Um, that, that's where I lean. Yeah, I think that's legit. Nick Bosa... I mean, as much as we're nitpicking the difference between him and Miles Garrett, he's right there. He's been dominant all the way along. He was incredible in college. He's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. He just had a slightly easier run of it last year, and I think his numbers were a little bit distorted because of that. So no problem picking Nick Bosa at this spot. Uh, now we need the next team. And it, while he's spinning, it gets overlooked, too. Like, he's an elite run defender as well. Um, you, you care more about the pass rush, but it's a nice thing to have as well. Yeah, and, and it's a fair point that it does, you know, if you're looking at these things, you can make the, an argument that that separates him from some of these other guys, right? And in particular, Miles Garrett, who I think has been a better pass rusher over the last couple of years, but has not been as good a run defender as Nick Bosa. And if you value that more highly, you are going to lean towards a guy like Bosa over even Garrett. So yep. Cincinnati Bengals have the number 14 overall pick. No Joe Burrow to work with. No Jamar Chase to work with. Where are the Bengals going? Oh, yeah. So it, it's probably quarterback. I think T.J. Watt, who you mentioned, is a fair shout. Probably should be a top half of this draft uh, draft pick. I know he missed time last year, so maybe he's escaped our minds a little bit. But he, you know, when he did play, he was still T.J. Watt. I yeah, think I, I go him or I give them a tackle. I mean, heck, they could use a young stud tackle. Uh, they've been trying and, and and haven't really you know hit hit on that position just yet but but yeah that's Tristan Wirfs or or uh, TJ Watt for me I I think here's where I would make the push for uh Sauce Gardner like I think at this point so we're TJ Watt is fantastic but the injuries 
or the injury last year, maybe, I don't know how much you factor that in. The tackles, I think, are an intriguing group. And if Tristan Wirfs looks as good at left tackle as he did at right tackle, like absolutely he's the, the top guy that you would talk about. But I think we're taking a step down at tackle relative to, you know, like Trent Williams is still the best tackle in the NFL, but Trent Williams is old as hell and he's not going to be in this conversation, right? So if Trent Williams in his pump was was available i think he'd absolutely be probably already off the board but without that and without you know david bakhtiari at his very best and and at his uh at his peak lane johnson same thing i i I like the young group of tackles but i don't think they're there yet where you would push them ahead of some of these other elite players at different positions and sauce gardner is the one guy where he looks like he could be the absolute truth at that position going forward so and given how valuable corner is, like this is where I think I'd push for Sauce Gardner. It's very fair. I, I will say I do think Worf's like I, I think I've been p- pushing his name because I think he looks like, and again, he's moving positions which could change things. But as much as I like Rashawn Slater, like Penay Sewell, I think they could become maybe the best tackles in football. I'm not confident right now that they're like it's a guarantee. Right. Tristan Worf's had a sub one percent pressure rate allowed last year. Like he allowed five pressures on six hundred snaps. Like he, he's absurd. But but I agree though, where Sauce could legitimately erase half the field for you for the next five, six years. Um, you know, has true rare ability size everything prototypically you want in the dude um and from a mentality standpoint is obviously a, a, just an absolute dog I'm, I'm not opposed to sauce at all let's go let's go sauce um the the worst thing is a good point like he's already there he's already elite in terms of pass protection it's gonna get more difficult this year not just because he's moving positions but also because tom brady's no longer there you're not gonna have the fastest average time to throw in the nfl to deal with like whoever the quarterback ends up being you're going to have to pass block for a longer period of time than you have over the last couple of years. So I think worse generally is going to have a tougher gig of it. All right, let's fire up the uh, the spinning machine, see what we got left. Number and 15. And days in Cincy. Yeah, that's true. The Washington Commanders, number 15 overall. I don't think they're going Sam Howell here. I don't. They love him. They're they're high on him. There's a lot of buzz coming out of camp. I wouldn't be so sure. Picking 15, which is just perfect for them. Look, they're addicted to interior defenders. Like, do we give them the Ron Payne or Jonathan Allen? Just give them right back to them. Do we give them Chris Jones, uh, one of the younger dudes? I think maybe we got to get one of those, one one of our, our favorite interior defender off the board uh, in honor of the Washington Commanders. How many? So we're in this world now where interior defenders are lasting longer. So, like, Aaron Donald might be done. On the other hand, he might have, for just in terms of, like, there's no sign of him slowing down, right? Like, he could have five years left playing at this kind of level if he cared about it. It's it's more he seems to be wanting his way towards the end of his career as opposed to, like, we're inevitably heading there. But, like, the likes of Calais Campbell or Cameron Hayward, their best football has been year 30 or age 30 and beyond you know, Chris Jones is 29. That's starting to get to that 30 point where you start to get worried. But does he actually have half a dozen years of elite play left, right? Like, is that how, – how scared should we be of Chris Jones being 29? It's obviously a case-by-case basis, but that that is – Part of what I thought about here, um, I mean, yeah, Kim Hayward's been as good as he's been his entire career the last couple of years, and he's like 33 years old now. It's interesting. It's Edge is the same situation, too. I mean, you still have 
Cam Jordan and Justin Houston and Melvin Ingram, like guys that are making meaningful contributions. Obviously, Von Miller before the ACL tear was still playing in an elite clip. It does give me some confidence that you can take a 29-year-old dude and get five years out of him because I think my perspective on this too, like working in contracts and always working in roster construction is like, and I'll knock on like all the wood in the room, but like the guys we took in the first 15 picks might only play five more years also, right? right. Like there's no, you know, Calvin Johnson's and, and Rob Gronkowski's retiring at 29, 30, like that stuff happens. So um, yeah, obviously it's a, it's a question of if the guy wants to keep playing, but Chris Jones's age does not really scare me here. I think he's going to be an elite player for three, four more seasons. Then I would give Washington Chris Jones. He's our best interior guy that isn't of an age age or a guy considering retirement like Aaron Donald's age is actually not that scary it's the fact that he's already talked about retirement that's the thing yeah all right so Chris Jones to Washington they continue their run of interior guys let's spin the magic uh the magic team picker and see who we're gonna end up at pick number 16 overall the Tennessee Titans Mike Vrabel what's Mike getting to play with Needs some grit. Another team that always picks. We're kind of right in this window. Um, I mean, now I'm thinking real world, but they certainly could use an edge rusher. Um, obviously, had some injuries to Harold Landry and others there. They have Jeffrey Simmons. Honestly, I don't think it's a terrible pick to just give them Jeffrey Simmons back. Uh, mm. You know, but uh, yeah, or we start getting a little bit more creative with it. But I think we're, there's still a couple cl- clusters of elite players along the defensive line that, that probably makes sense. Simmons is legit. Um, I think. I think T.J. Watt is probably the best pick at this point. He had an injury last year. Before that, they haven't really been a problem. He's been at that elite level the previous three years, right up there with the Bosa's, with the Miles Garretts. I think separating him from that group by any meaningful amount is probably too far. Uh, so I would give Tennessee T.J. Watt, and then I think you're probably running out of those like true like blue-chip special players, but that's the spot I'd go with. Great. And also for let's spin the uh, let's spin the thing. Also, if we're talking about like you know real world and influencing things that way, like they've been trying to find a TJ Watt for years at this point. Oh, there we go. Ironically enough, Pittsburgh gets gets poached. Pittsburgh comes up at number seventeen, and TJ Watt went a pick in front of them. So where are the Steelers going to go? Yeah. So again, tying it to the real world, they just traded up in this year's draft to go up and get Broderick Jones, the tackle out of Georgia. Uh, I think they needed to do that. I think it was probably the, the biggest weakness on their roster at this point, uh, a roster that lo- looks pretty solid. I'm, I'm, I'm pounding the table for, for Tristan Wirfs here uh, at 17. I think he should be a top 20 pick. Um, that's where I'm leaning. So. Worfs, I think, is a good pick. That would be the first tackle off the board. Uh, edge rusher is, I think we've almost tapped out of all the truly elite guys at this point. Uh, interior, we've taken Chris Jones. We would be into that second tier. That's where there's about to be a lot of strength, I think, with the uh, Dexter Lawrence's, the Jeffrey Simmons, etc. Um, wide receiver, we went We've got Justin Jefferson off the board. We've got Jamar Chase, but there's a lot of really elite wide receivers, Stephon Diggs, A.J. Brown, young guys that are still there. Um, At what point are we in any danger of jumping back to quarterbacks at any point, whether it's how much do you believe in Tua, um, whether it's a guy like Kenny Pickett, who showed quite a lot year one, or Deshaun Watson or Justin Fields. Like, are we in any danger of any of these teams in the second half of the first round coming back to quarterback in the near future? 
I don't really think so. I still think we haven't even gotten into like Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith conversation. I think we haven't talked about like a Darisaw or an Andrew Thomas or some of the other young, you know, I mean, Jalen Phillips in Miami, I think actually is probably, you know, in the conversation right now. Um, you know, had the injuries in college, retired, I guess, which is a little bit scary, but 70 pressures last year, top uh, the 11th best pass rush win rate. Um, I, I think he's kind of a sleeping giant at 90 pass rush grade. I think Vic Fangio is going to unlock him and he's going to be like a household name type guy after the season. So I don't know. I still th- I think I have five, six picks in me before I, I then pivot back to. All right, let's let's get some more gunslingers off the board. All right. So we're going to give the uh, Steelers Tristan Wirfs. Let's do it. All right, let's go. Let's spin the wheel. Let's see where we end up next. Worfs, I think you're right, is the best tackle in the NFL when you factor age into this. Um, Seattle Seahawks, speaking of the team that just went with young tackles, uh, Seattle at number 18. Where are the Seahawks going? Yeah, so I think receiver's interesting. They have DK already. They obviously add Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round. Like, I think a... Jalen Waddle, dynamic speedster, maybe Devontae Smith, you know, elite separator. I think that's an interesting conversation. Or, look, Seattle's been drafting edge rushers in the second round time and time again. Hasn't gone great so far. They've done it three out of the last four years now, I want to say. Maybe you just give them Jalen Phillips or Brian Burns or whatever, you know, young pass rusher you like here. Could probably use some help on the interior as well. Yeah, I think the value is there at wide receiver. Um, Tyreek Hill at 29 is still intriguing to me. I know... Like we talked about how important his sort of speed and agility and burst is, but just in terms of how he can affect a team, there might not be a more dominant dominant and scary wide receiver in the NFL. I would shy away from Devontae Adams, from Cooper Cup. I think they have reached the age where it's not worth taking them at this sort of spot. Tyreek Hill's the one quote-unquote older receiver that I would break that rule, I think, for in the first round but if you want to stay away from older guys completely you know you've got aj brown um like you've got some high end the the guys that you talked about aj brown will be the first guy off my list in those terms or tyreek hill i think those would be the two guys i would be debating between I think Tyreek still has a legit argument as well. I mean, also this team, this hypothetical team is not taking one of the early quarterbacks. So you're maybe <clears throat> a team that's either going to bring a guy along or, or get kind of a, a lesser option. And I don't think any quarter, any receiver in the NFL can do more with, you know, check downs or, or screens or, or creative play calls than a Tyreek Hill. Like you said, he, he or he just takes, takes the top off the defense as well. He's He's got a solid argument. I wouldn't be against it. Let's give him Tyreek Hill. Um, let's give him Tyree Kill. We'll spin the randomizer for our next team uh, while I tell you all about our friends over at DraftKings. The player that you benched in fantasy football just went off with Best Ball and DraftKings. You get the best of your team all season long. This year, Best Ball and DraftKings is bigger and better than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. Join DraftKings' biggest Best Ball contest today and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Enter DraftKings' Best Ball Millionaire Contests and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers, no ads, drops, or trades. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. Head to DraftKings uh, and sign up with the code PFF. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. That's code PFF 
only on DraftKings. Get the app right now. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued is 10 DraftKings dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for detail. Ends July 14th. That's only four days away. 2023. All right. Who is our next team? What do we get to? Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the post-Tom Brady landscape. Pick number 19 overall in our uh, fantasy draft right here. Yeah, so when you bring up A.J. Brown, what, what I sort of think of, which is interesting, is, and I think it applied to Tyreek as well, is, and this isn't a knock on a guy like Debo Samuel, who's kind of the the, the, the person I'm using right now, but it, it, what we're doing is just dropping players onto a team, right? And right. so it's kind of coach agnostic and like scheme agnostic and all those things. I'm not saying this is Debo's fault, but I think Kyle Shanahan gets more out of Debo Samuel than your average NFL coach does, right? Like you put him in an uncreative, you know, with, you know, insert, you know, whatever older coach that, that did the same thing over and over again here. I don't think he untaps the full potential of a Debo Samuel. Whereas, look, AJ Brown is a physical, just X receiver that can just do what you ask of him, can play bully ball, can play through press coverage, can just do, um, you know, make plays in traffic, make guys miss after the catch. Like, he's one of those guys for me where you just drop him somewhere and it works. And I think we're in that territory where, like, now it's, we're getting a little bit of the kind of, it is nitpicky, but, but I, I do think it matters. No, I think it's fair. Um, like, He's definitely, anytime you're talking about a unique skill set, it probably requires a little bit of give and take from the coach in order to maximize its ability. Though it's, it's a similar discussion to the one we had with Micah Parsons, which is if we're talking about versatility to, to this huge degree, you have to ask the question whether or not a coach or a scheme is capable of tapping into that versatility. And with Debo, that's a big part of it. Like, Anytime, like the, the league is not great at using these running back wide receiver hybrids as a general concept, right? It just isn't. Um, and as much as Kyle Shanahan has been able to tap into it to a huge degree with Debo, it's a fair question to wonder if 31 other teams would be able to do that. So I would absolutely lean A.J. Brown over a guy like Debo and probably a few other receivers as well. You think like CD, like wh where does he factor in? Maybe, you know, I mean, Terry McLaurin, I mentioned DK Metcalf, like, Garrett, I mean, also get, get even super young. Like, are Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave guys you're willing to bet on right now and right. get some of that surplus value? Like, that was a lot of names, but kind of, how, how, how do those guys factor in? Or you think they're just, we don't know enough yet? I'd definitely be tempted with Garrett Wilson. A part of that is, you know, priors. I was really high on him coming out. I thought he was the best receiver in that draft class. Uh, I'm not going away from that after year one if anything he's enhanced that and with Aaron Rodgers you know he could be the guy to completely go off this year um I think AJ Brown is the clear best guy from that group uh and you know McLaren is an interesting name because of what he's dealt with from the quarterback standpoint and, and all those kinds of things but yeah to me AJ Brown is the the clear next name certainly if you're going wide receiver I'm with you I'm with you on that one all right let's go who's our next team the Wheel of Fortune spins. And the New York Jets. Where are the Jets going? So do they, right, do they do another reality check? Like, are they going to go old quarterback and see what <laughs> they can make happen? Uh, or do they, no, nah, I think for them, I think elite defensive lineman makes a lot of sense, uh, whether that's interior or, or edge. Um, that's just, I don't know. But Sauce is gone, so the guy's gone. We could go Garrett Wilson, give him their own player. Um, but I think 
you know, you're Jalen Phillips, Andrew Thomas, or even a Quinn and Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, I, I think is what makes the most sense to me here. Simmons, yeah, Simmons would be probably the best player on your big board, you know, when you're looking at it, like the the next guy as the interior, um, who is it, Jeremy Fowler is running this series, uh, ranking the best players in the NFL uh, by surveying sort of team executives and that kind of thing. And I think Simmons was the clear next guy on the interior after Chris Jones. Um, and, you know, you can quibble about those rankings. Like Jonathan Allen was way too low on those lists for some reason. But I think ranking um, Jeffrey Simmons as the next guy is probably right. It is, in my opinion, and I love Quinn and Williams. Um, and I, when I was working on early extension stuff and, and pulled people across the NFL, um, they all, it was, I honestly, I found it interesting how much of a consensus it was that Jeffrey Simmons is kind of that next dude. Um, it, it is pretty much a borderline consensus NFL opinion. And I think, interesting thing, one thing I just noticed is like he's playing 200, 250 snaps more per season than Quinn and Williams. Like, not to take away from a very good player, but he doesn't come off the field. And right. and, and Jets, the Jets have that rotation, which obviously works phenomenally. Uh, um, you know, Robert Sala, you know, San Francisco does the same thing, but but Simmons does not come off the field. No, I think it's fair. Um, and I, with Simmons, he did it kind of from day one. It wasn't like his first game back was like a 90 grade where he just absolutely wrecked shop and then didn't really do it again for a while. But from day one of him being on an NFL field, he's shown something to the people that want to buy in to how good he can be and has kind of consistently done that. Like every year there's been something where you look at him and go, wow. Whereas Quinn and Williams, it kind of took until this last year for him to really kick into high gear and it's been more of a slow burn for some of these other guys. That might be part of it. But I'm all I'm all for giving them Simmons at this point. Yeah, let's, let's rip it. I mean, yeah, he has just game breaking ability. I mean, they lost the game, but he almost single handedly beat the Bengals in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, when, when Joe Burrow took nine sacks, I think he had three and a half of them. Like he just, you don't see that from from a lot of players in the NFL. All right, let's quickly uh, run through our next ten picks as a recap. Uh, if we could get the thing spinning on the background and get back to that, that would be great. Carolina, Miles Garrett at number eleven. The Bears went with Jamar Chase at twelve. The Browns went with Nick Bosa at thirteen. The Bengals went with Sauce Gardner at 14, the Commanders, Chris Jones at 15, the Titans, TJ Watt at 16, the Steelers went with Tristan Wirfs, our first offensive lineman at 17, the Seahawks went with Tyreek Hill, got to be the oldest player off the board at uh, 18, the Buccaneers went with A.J. Brown at 19, and the Jets went with Jeffrey Simmons at 20. Uh, Chris Jones and Tyreek Hill, both 29, those are the two oldest guys we've had. Detroit Lions were the team spinning in the background number 21 they're interesting they just took Aiden Hutchinson second overall obviously had a good rookie season but you know the underlying metrics we can definitely see more from him going forward um has that inside outside flex too which is interesting but I think we pivot back to just young elite you know trench players or or receivers here or or go quarterback is now the time Ooh, that's interesting the quarterback conversation again um I think so. Whereas I was bringing up Sauce before, as we've sort of tapped out a few of the top obvious guys at certain positions, I think now's the time you bring in Patrick Sertan to the conversation as well. Like we've run through a bunch of edge rushers, we've run through a few interior guys. I think Sertan as like the the number two corner uh, when you factor in youth and you know play at this point is absolutely in the conversation at this point. 
uh, along with those sort of other interior guys. But pivoting back to quarterback is kind of fascinating. Uh, also, like, what age is Jalen Ramsey now? He's too old, in my opinion. I think he turns 30 this year. So I think no, he's 29. 28. He, yeah, yeah, but at corner, it's, it's a little scary. 28 um, turning 29 this year. Yeah, October okay, 24th, okay. he'll be Okay, all right. So he probably – and the thing with him is, like, I do think – he could play safety when he is like 31, 32. Sure. Like I think he has the ability to do different things and 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 prolong his career as a result. But Sertan, I think, is a great shout. Because I think again, we're getting the conversation of like, I like AJ Terrell. I think he's a very good player. You know, there are some young dudes, Trevon Diggs, etc. JC Horn, whenever he's healthy, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh unfortunately, that's been, you know, not not a super consistent, but there is, I think, maybe like like a tier or a plateau. I'm like, like you're like you're right. talking about. Like you want to get a spot where you know there's a, a maybe a drop off between your guy and the next group. And I think factoring in age and all that, I do think Sertan maybe just a hair below Sauce, and then there probably is a decent drop to you know insert your favorite young stud uh, after that. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Let's go, Patrick Sertan uh, at this spot. I think you're right. There's a bit of a gap. Um, I think. Guys like Andrew Thomas are in this conversation. The, all the interior guys we were talking about, I think there's still a couple of edge rushers that probably belong in the conversation uh, and some of the receivers as well. But Patrick Sertan at that spot I think is good. Let's hit the wheel and see who we end up with. Buffalo Bills. What are we at number 22? Yes. Buffalo Bills at number 22. Yeah, so Thomas is the Andrew Thomas is the highest guy on my big board uh, remaining. He, he's sticking up there, and then like Rashawn Slater, Panay Sewell are, are in the conversation as well. And then for me, I do think if I was going to take another edge rusher, uh, really any defensive lineman, I, I would go Jalen Phillips personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm good with Andrew Thomas. I wouldn't complicate it. I think he is the Terrific. next guy. He's his development at left tackle has been fantastic. He played at an All Pro level last year. He's had that nice linear development improvement that we love to see, even though it's not always going to work that way. Um, and I don't know that we've necessarily seen the very, very best of him either. Like, he might still be getting better. So I think Andrew Thomas, as potentially the best left tackle in the NFL, at pick number 22, steal for Buffalo. Yeah, I agree. I mean, above 80 in both pass blocking and run blocking in the first year of a new offensive system with Brian Dable. Like, I, I think he could be maybe the best left tackle in football in, in a year or two. And I think he was the only guy to do that, or one of two maybe to have 80. Yep, one of two. Both it guys. was him and Trent, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good spot to be in. Indianapolis yeah. Colts, number 23. Where are Indy going? Interesting. Interesting. I mean, they, they'd probably love to take a quarterback this early and figure that out. Although we're, we're Anthony Richardson believers around here, maybe maybe you're not. Uh, I, I mean, we're we're going in circles now. It's again. Do we want to just keep taking elite positions? Do we get a little interesting with it? And maybe take, I don't know, the best. Like you mentioned, Jerwin Dames. Do we do we you know try to hit on that angle? Um, what do you think? I think at this point in the draft, Deshaun Watson is becoming increasingly difficult to turn down because of what he could be. Um, like we yeah. we've seen it unlike a lot of these other guys and with Watson you don't even need to get him back to the to the elite 90 plus grade the the last season that we saw you you only need like the 80 plus version that was sort of the baseline before that year for him to be way well worth this pick like at that point you're putting him in the same kind of category as you know Dak Prescott and and from what we've seen so far of Trevor Lawrence, even if we're projecting better things from him and you know that kind of level, knowing that he can be better than that, um, it's just that 
It's been a while since we've seen it, but he's 27 years old. He's got all the physical tools in the world. Every time you see him play, you come away sort of impressed with how physically strong he is um, relative to sort of how spindly he looks. Like, I'm, I'm, let's off-field issues aside, from a strictly on-the-field point of view, I think it's pretty tough to turn down Watson at this point. Agree. I agree. And you've seen, you know, he's played in the big games, obviously in college. I think the thing will be fascinating this year, um, and we may have spoken about this, but just that, like, Kevin Stefanski's offense, I think, is just so different from what he did with with Bill O'Brien in Houston. And if he does put it all together and get through the rust and figure it out, like, I think he'll show us things. That, like, he was kind of like a Russell Wilson, like, scramble around, throw bombs, his ass to throw was like three and a half seconds for for like a stretch there and i think that he's slowly realizing to move away from that and, and avoid you know acl tears and whatnot if he does get get comfortable with the rhythm rhythm and timing and just like get to your drop you know hit the receiver type offense there's like nothing the guy hasn't shown uh if he pulls that off all right so let's give him uh let's give him deshaun watson yeah spin that wheel only a few teams left the arizona cardinals at number 24 the poor Cardinals. So here's a thought I had too. Position we haven't talked about, and it would be very, very Cardinals to do this. Yes, he's not super young, but he's not old. And yes, he's got paid, but I'll ignore that for now. I think Fred Warner has a pretty sizable gap over the next best off-ball linebacker in the NFL. Like, I really do. I think you and I, again, I think had a chat like a month or two ago about like, the gap between the best player at their position and the next guy, like Justin Tucker, Aaron Donald, whatever. I think Warner is firmly in that conversation, um, and it's and it's Arizona. They love taking off ball linebackers in the first. So, so what, what are your thoughts? They do. Um, man, that would be. You're right. Like there, he's in that category. I think of elite player has all the tools. That's this is the conversation of positional value, right? It's it's like is it worth taking a an off the ball linebacker? He's only 26 years old. Um, is it worth taking that guy to start your French? your franchise with and like all the information right now would say no right but you have to kind of assume it's your first pick right it's it's not that your franchise is going to stink and you're adding this guy to a bad team in theory each one of these teams is going to be like league average right you have the the rest of the roster to fill out it's just where you're going first so it is much more about how elite is this player how big is the gap between him and the next guy like how much of a premium is he relative to his peers and Warner is like a top five pick by those kinds of measures. So I think you can make the argument. It's just, you have to be really aware of what that is in terms of position value statement. Yeah, no, it's, I'm definitely being devil's advocate to a degree, but I will say like, as we're going through this, you start to realize like we've been talking about, there are still, seven or eight in my opinion elite startup wide receivers left there are still seven or eight edge rushers tackles like there's so many very good players at, at, at marquee positions that yeah should you probably address it right now yes but you know you could make the argument of let's get this elite player and then okay we have to take terry mclaurin instead of you know debo samuel like that's fine but we got fred warner instead of you know insert name here um because yeah i mean there's still a lot of you know the premium positions are still accounted for i just think we're trying to be a little bit more interesting here and i do think fred warner is like in a class of his own right now at the position yeah and you know you're, you're talking about him versus wide receiver five versus edge rusher five i think versus what interior four three 
um, like you're getting down the board for some of these other positions. And even deeper than that, when you consider you're, you're sort of taking some players off the board because they're 30 or 30, you know, above that. So I, I think it's an argument you can definitely make for a dude who's 26, who has as much versatility, that, that word we've been criticizing, but like ability to do more things at the linebacker position than any other guy in the league effectively. I don't hate it. Let's let's do that. Let's give Arizona their their linebacker and give him Fred Warner and uh, spin that wheel and see where we get. Pick number twenty-five. What do we got? Seven picks remaining. The Atlanta Falcons. So Lenning, it's interesting. I mean, two of their own guys. They probably could argue deserve to be in this round. I know Kyle. Everyone's down on Kyle Pitts now. He had a thousand yards as a rookie tight end, which is just like unheard of. Right. Uh, and then Drake London. We met. We mentioned uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. We probably shouldn't not at least mention Drake London in that conversation as well. Brings a body type that you know isn't as easy to find maybe as some of the smaller speedsters. For me, though, they've had the worst pass rush in the NFL for the last two, if not three seasons. I mean, just like laughably bad numbers. They're dead last for us in pressure rate, in pass rush win rate. They're like tied with Nick Bosa and Sachs over the last two years. Um, I think we got to give them once and for all uh, an elite edge rusher to, to pair with Grady Jarrett, uh, hypothetically, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're that's Jalen Phillips in, on your list? For me, that's Jalen Phillips, yep. Jalen Phillips. I'm trying. So it's Jalen Phillips versus Max Crosby. Effectively, is that conversation yep. right? Von Miller, Which, Khalil Mack, too old. Joey Bosa. How old is Joey Bosa? Yeah. The injuries for Joey scare me away. Garrett, well. Crosby has a, a phenomenal argument. Not old by any means. Um, elite against the run and and the pass. I mean, just just does not take snaps off either. Right. Um, you know, has crazy pro- productivity for a reason. It's between the if we're going to go edge rusher, I guess it's between those two for me. Um, I would be totally fine taking Crosby if we want to see a little bit more from a Jalen Phillips. I think Bose is in that conversation as well. Just uh, okay, the injuries have been a problem for him, but when he's been on the field, he's been basically as good as any any edge rusher in the NFL. That dude is is absolutely elite. I think I'd definitely default or lean to one of those guys over Jalen Phillips, even if I by your idea that he could be better this year in a Fangio system and he's moving absolutely in the right direction as well already. Like those two guys are just shown more to this point. So it would be Crosby or Joey Bosa for me. And I'm okay going Crosby for the injury concern with Bosa. Well, I vote Crosby. All right, let's do that. Let's uh, spin the wheel, but I can't get too deep into the podcast before I tell you about something truly special. Uh, Trevor's already heard this, Brad, but I don't know if you've heard that it's smooth sack summer over here. When you're whether you're playing in the sun, make sure you're scaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still look hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive head first into Smooth Sack Summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 is everything you need to prepare that summer bod. They've built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features cutting-edge ceramic blades to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock and give you the ability to turn on the 4,000K LED spotlight when needed for a a more precise shave. Did I mention that this trimmer is waterproof too? Beach 
lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag, which is pretty spectacular. Call to action required. That's in the read. I'm just reading everything right now. I'm Ron Burgundy. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It is smooth sack summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. There's nothing in the world I love more than the Manscaped read, Brad. Nothing. Every time you think they can't top themselves, they come back. I would love to sit in the room with the, you know, the marketing PR folks. They get to just sit there and come up with various analogies and double entendres for balls all, all day long. There's there's genuine artwork in these reads. They are yes. they're gen they are spectacular. And there's stuff that like there's you know, there's rhyming and there's alliteration in there that you don't even notice when you're reading through it. It's only once you're, you know, third time through the read, you're like, oh, look at that little Look at that little rhyme that escaped that skid right past me the first time. So had to get that in there. Who was our team? The San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco, pick number 26. Where are we going with the 49ers? So they obviously look, they have Trent Williams, but he's on the back nine of his career. They just let Mike McGlinchey go. Maybe they, you know, re restock with a Rashawn Slater, Panay Sewell type. Um or, again, do we get into the conversation of the, give them the best at, at a position, give them a Quentin Nelson-type player that we haven't gone to? You know, yeah, I think that's where we're at now. Yeah, and I, I think there were still – I think we're still away, away from going back to the quarterback well. The next guy in the quarterback well is one of these young, very unproven guys, I think. It's either how much faith do you have in Justin Fields – it's how much faith you have in Kenny Pickett. It's how much faith you have in Bryce Young, having seen nothing from him yet. Like those are the three guys I would be talking about. Or how much value do you place in the consistent good of Kirk Cousins? Like how, you know, how, how important is that to you? So those are the quarterbacks in the discussion. Uh, or two, I guess, with the one guy that's sort of shown elite play over a short period of time in a special offense, but concussions, injuries, blah, blah, blah. So I guess two was in that conversation as well. Um, or, you know, tapping into some of these other elite players at, at other positions. Where are you leaning? I lean away from quarterback. Like I said, we talked about kind of where is our tipping point. I'm, I'm at the point where, yeah, I wait a couple rounds. I add Matthew Stafford in the 12th, and, and I just get ready for the, the rookie that's going to be learning from him going forward. All right. Um, so... At that point, I think I would be making the case probably for some of those interior players uh, as the next guy's off the board. So it's interesting. It, it comes down to, in my opinion, you mentioned I agree with you. Jonathan Allen was ranked way too low um, by the execs that Jeff, uh, Jer Jeremy Fowler interviewed, has been elite the last two years now, I think is still a good bit better than Deron Payne on his own team, yep. um, who's also a very good player. But, but nevertheless... And then Quinnen was, like, the guy we expected last year. I think he looked like the third overall pick, the guy we thought coming out. Um, but I don't know. Jonathan Allen, man, he, he, is, he is an underrated player in the NFL. He is, absolutely. Um, he's probably got the best resume of any of these guys. Uh, the other guy I think that I would definitely push to include in the conversation is Dexter Lawrence, who was ridiculous last year. And, you know, I don't know how much this actually matters, but has that sort of signature game that we talked about with Jeffrey Simmons like he he won the Vikings game he won the playoff game for the Giants the Minnesota Vikings could not block Dexter Lawrence all game long 
including, you know, when it mattered the most, he came up with those couple of plays. Like, that was a, a performance very reminiscent of Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl where he just decided, right, enough. Like, now it's done. I'm winning the game. You're not. Your drive is dead. Dexter Lawrence decided that and wrecked the Vikings in that playoff game. So I think Dexter Lawrence has the dominant season, the signature games, and definitely belongs in that conversation with Williams and with Jonathan Allen. Here's why I'll actually argue that he should be the pick is if, again, we're going to get into, like, he's the best zero one tech left yeah. uh, on the board, right? Like, he brings a different skill set and, and can do different things from an alignment that you go look at the snaps. I was looking at yesterday for an article. Like, his zero or one tech snaps compared to the rest of the list is way, way higher. And obviously, there is a higher expectation of pass rush wins and pressure coming from a three tech or, you know, four I five, whatever. The, what he was able to do from where he was lining up was different than, than, than dudes that play where he plays. You know, Vita Vea type stuff, Frank Clark type stuff. I'm, I'm down for Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's the pick. Um, we can spin it up for the next team. Yeah, it's it's worth pointing out that we're talking about a guy that weighs 342 pounds listed, right? He's yeah. not, he is not a 305, 310-pound interior rusher. He is a dude that is 342 listed weight and had – 63 pressures last year in the regular season that's that doesn't happen very often it's uh, the same you can do weight adjustment it's my new favorite thing in ultimate is just look at stats for like only 315 or 320 <laughs> and up uh and he dominated last year <laughs> i like it i like it all right philadelphia eagles coming up with uh, pick number 27 sharp organization you know they're going premium position they're not they're not getting cute with it I think it just comes down to a conversation of like they take their own guy, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Garrett Wilson, or Chris Olave, um, or CeeDee Lamb, steal, steal a cowboy. Mm-hmm. I think that is that is where we're looking, unless you want to go, are we are we missing an edge? Um, or, you know, you mentioned they have Lane Johnson, they have Jordan Mailata. Do they go Rashawn Slater, Panay Sewell? I, I think we're talking trenches or receiver here for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, this is an interesting part of the draft because we're kind of run out of the true blue chips, I think, at pretty much every position. So you're either talking about dramatically lower value positions, right? So how much value do you place on a guy like George Kittle or Kyle Pitts or, you know, Mark Andrews even? Travis Kelsey's going to be off the table because of his age. Uh, or safety, you know, Micah Fitzpatrick, something like that. We already took Fred Warner, so we're sort of in that discussion area. Or... Like, how deep do you want to go on some of these higher value positions? Like, we're uh, deep into the edge rushers now, right? Like, six, seven. But but you still have a guy like Joey Bosa on the board who's clearly capable of really high-end elite play. Um, we talked about dipping back into the quarterback market before. Probably not that. But the wide receiver position is the same kind of conversation as edge. I was thinking about this just as this team came up. I think the only rookie that you would make an argument for is Bryce Young. I, I don't really think you would think about anybody else. Maybe, maybe um, like a true sort of blue chip in Jalen Carter in terms of, you know, theoretically was the best player in the draft, right? From a all things on the field point of view. But I just don't know that you would take him over. I mean, we're still – Quinn and Williams, et cetera, is on the board. Like the chance of him being better than Quinn and Williams are not that high. So probably not. 
I, I'm with you 110%. I was going to say those two are the only people I would consider. Uh, the Eagles themselves, obviously, took Jalen Carter. They took Jordan Davis the year before. So back-to-back top 15 picks and interior defender. Maybe Quinn and Williams is the easy decision here and just give them that elite player at that spot. Um, but yeah, I agree. The rookie class, it's two, it's two dudes. And you could probably argue it's really just Bryce Young, I, I think, for this exercise. Right. I'd be good with Quinn and Williams. I think he's in that he's in the same group as these other guys. In fact, to be honest, I think that's where the next few picks are is just taking off these these defensive linemen uh, and making mm-hmm. sure we've kind of got that next group all all done. All right, where's our spin? What's we got? Baltimore Ravens. There we go. Baltimore Ravens, pick number twenty eight. Where are the Ravens going? Yeah, always picking late. They are, the last couple of years, very uh, okay with taking non-premium early, off-ball linebacker, safety, center. Like, they really have kind of, I think, maybe identified some value because they're always picking, you know, 25th or later. But I, I'm with you. I think we're looking at just the, the last tier of kind of, you know, elite players. I'll say this. They've struggled to find great wide receiver play. They finally, you know, took, took receivers in the first round, what, two of the last three years. Uh, with Bateman and this year with Zay, maybe we just give Lamar Jackson. I guess he's not on this team. We just we go elite young receiver. I think for the Baltimore Ravens. Who's our next receiver off the board? C.D. Lamb, Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. It's quite a lot of them. Terry McLaurin, but I don't know that there's a sort of coherent, clear order of that group. I agree, but I think the first two names you mentioned, I think, were my top two. I think there's maybe a little bit we've seen more from them uh, than the rest of the guys, uh, but yeah. I would be really tempted if I was, this is sort of a, a bit of a gamble and a projection, but I'd be really tempted at Garrett Wilson at this point. He put up 1,100 yards as a rookie. If you just projected his numbers with not Zach Wilson at quarterback, which let's remember that limits you to Joe Flacco and Mike White. So it's not like that's a good quarterback situation. If you just projected those numbers forward, we were talking about a Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson kind of rookie season, like one of the best we've ever seen. And now he's getting Aaron Rodgers. Okay, we don't know quite what that chemistry will look like, how you know deeply uh, telepathic those two are going to be year one. But if it's anything towards the good end of the spectrum – his numbers could be absolutely insane. He had the second most broken tackles of any wide receiver in the NFL behind only Debo, who was, you know, kind of a running back as much as a wide receiver. So if you were sort of looking at this group and saying, sure, McLaren's fantastic, sure, CeeDee Lamb is great, like Garrett Wilson could be insane next year. Prediction ability just already is among the elites in the game, I think. Like, I think you right. can you can make that argument um, – and, and yeah, and then of course the projection point. I mean, Christian Watson like was hurt, concussed, injured for the first eight nine weeks of the season, and then from week ten on led the NFL in touchdown catches. Like that's what that's what Aaron Rodgers can do for you. Um, yeah, I think there is a possibility. We talk, we have, we see like a fifteen hundred yard, ten touchdown season from Garrett Wilson as, as a sophomore. Yeah, I mean, I when he was coming into the NFL, it was like, well, he's not necessarily special at anything, but he's really good at everything. We might have been underselling the really good because like, he's, he's insane in terms of route running and separation. His body control is insane, and his run after the catch ability is insane. So while we were like, it's not great, it might actually be great at all those things. And if it is, then yeah. he's, he's ridiculous. So I'm, I'm good with Garrett Wilson at pick number 28 to the Baltimore Ravens. Let's spin the wheel. We got, uh, what, four more teams to go. New England Patriots. 
Or Patriots. They're used to picking in this range and, and trying to make it work. Um, huh. Interesting. I mean, I don't think they go quarterback. I think we agree we're, we're done there. I feel like they would take a blue chip tackle at this spot. We we could go edge, but I think the cluster remaining of edge, you can nitpick. I think they're still with a Rashawn Slater and a Panay Sewell. I think there's a bit of a drop like to the next tier of guys um, if you factor in age and contracts and all those things. Like Jordan Mailata, I think it's interesting because he's not a good deal. Right. Um, Christian Derisaw, I guess, could be thrown in that bucket, but I do think if we're talking about our tiers and drop-offs, like I think these young tackles should probably go. The other guy that's probably in the conversation, a tackle, um, even though he's older, is Laramie Tunsil. He's 28. Yep. He will be 29. It's just young enough that I think he's good enough that he's in, you know, he's He's in the sort of Tyree Kale classification of, yeah, he's older than you would like at this spot, but he's really, really good. Like last season, his pass blocking grade was 91.7, gave up one sack in the last year and a half, sort of year and, and 250 snaps. Um, his pass blocking grade has always been really good at PFF. Run blocking has been a bit more of a, a journey, but like he's as good as it gets from a pass blocking point of view, and he's a 28, soon to be 29-year-old tackle. I think he would. I think I would probably take him before any of those other guys who might project to be better but aren't there yet. I think it's totally fair. And we were talking about you know interior defensive line or edge with respect to playing late into your thirties. I mean, tackle has been yeah. kind of ridiculous the last couple of years with guys that just still maintain a very very high floor. I mean, Dwayne Brown should be the starting left tackle for the Jets this year. He's thirty eight, but obviously you know your Jason Peters is. You know, we we can name guys all day. Yeah, Tunsil could have a decade left, which is crazy to say, but it's true. Um, and I do think he is probably the best pass blocker. You know, now that. Bakhtiari with the injuries, I think he kind of held that that crown for a while, but I, I think it's probably Larry Tunsil right now. Yeah, I mean, Trent Williams is still the best tackle in the NFL. He's about to be 35. Uh, right. Andrew, Andrew Whitworth was playing at an all-pro level when he was turning 40. I mean, you know, there's no reason that a 28-year-old tackle should be anything other than in his prime with some serious sort of room left to go. So let's give the Patriots Laramie Tunsil at this spot uh, and like it. fire up the next team. Almost done. Jacksonville Jaguars, number 30. They'd love to be picking 30, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the Jacksonville Jaguars finally make a run. Uh, get, get over the mountaintop like Blake Bortles back in the day. Um, it's interesting. They, they have some – obviously, they took Trayvon Walker. They have the other Josh Allen. Like, they have all these recent super high draft picks – uh, what do you think? What What is, I guess, the conversation now is like where, at which spot is the drop-off the, the steepest to the next best player? Like, do we go Jonathan Allen, who we mentioned, because we think there's a bit of a, you know, a drop-down of the next tier of guys? Yeah, is there I mean, a wide receiver we think is is a bit higher? What do, you, what do you think? Right, just sort of listing those options, it, you know, you've got, we still have Joey Bosa uh, at, at edge. You've got, we, we have your guy, Jalen Phillips, on the edge. We have Jonathan Allen on the interior um, you know, a guy like Christian Wilkins, that, those guys are in the conversation as well. Javon Hargrave, maybe. Uh, you have the weird or the lower value positions that we're not necessarily thinking too hard about. The Minka Fitzpatrick's of the world at safety, the George Kittles, the Kyle Pitts at tight end, or dipping back into that wide receiver bucket with guys like CeeDee Lamb or uh, Terry McLaurin. Or, you know, whether you value a guy like Debo Samuel in that kind of conversation, that's 
probably the group or those young tackles that we talked about. Yeah, with safety, I think that honestly the name that jumps out for me, like Kyle Hamilton, you know, one of our higher graded guys last year can play in the slot. Like I, I'm not taking I'm not taking a 28 plus year old safety in a in a in an NFL redraft. It's just tough. You know, we had a couple guys that play, you know, Earl Thomas, etc., that played, you know, pretty pretty late into their careers. But in today's NFL, it's pretty tough to play that position. Uh, you know, beyond 30. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Um, of those na- of those names, I think the best player is Joey Bosa. I'm with you. All right, let's do that. Let's give him Joey Bosa. Uh, we got two teams left, right? Two left. Let's go. New Orleans Saints. Ooh, the Packers going dead last. Right. We'd love to see Jesus it. With, uh, <laughs> Green Bay. So, New Orleans, pick number 31. Where are the Saints going? I think they would probably lean tackle, just get a blue chipper uh, on the offensive line. Obviously traded the farm uh, to get a tackle last year. We'll see how that ultimately works out. Um but yeah, I lean one of the young tackles uh, unless you want to get cr- real creative with it with our last two picks. No, I think that's probably the right spot. The question is, which who's the guy? Like, Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater was a pretty close conversation at draft time. Like, it's probably still a pretty close conversation. Slater was better, I think, right out of the gate, um, but was injured almost all of last year. Uh, Sewell has now put together two really good years, but potentially not quite as good as Slater. So... I think those guys are still kind of a coin flip uh, after that. And then Christian Darasaw, was he the same year? Um, is, I mean, last season was the best play we've seen from any of those th- three, I think. I lean Sewell only because the dude is probably younger than most tackles taken in this year's draft class. Right. <laughs> like he's 22 and, and, and like half the half, 22 and a half. Sorry, I can't speak. Um, and, and so I think that is kind of what jumps out to me. Um, like he could be the best tackle in football for a decade <clears throat> if he takes that step. I know he hasn't played left tackle yet. That was his college position though. So I think he will once Taylor Decker maybe, maybe is phased out. I think he'll slide back over and be just fine. Um, yeah, I mean, he did, right? He started off at left tackle and then had to flip over. Because we yep. had that, we had yep. the, uh, we had that hysteria of him struggling when he was yeah. right you know, in preseason and, and right away. And then all, and then you got to the real games and it didn't, it, like he was, he was every bit as good and then was able to flip back during the course of the season and suffer no kind of drop off right, right uh, at all. So we played 500 snaps at left tackle in year one, I actually played more in, on the left side than the right side in his first year and was pretty good at both. So, yeah, I'm okay with uh, with Sewell, given that upside, which brings Green Bay up on the clock at pick number 32 to round out our first round. Where are the Packers going to go? You know, it's interesting. If Rashawn Gary doesn't tear his ACL, I think he's a legit option here for his own yeah. Green Bay Packers. It was a tough injury. He was starting to look like one of the best players uh, in the NFL off the edge. I also think another player that's a Packer player that's a live option that we haven't talked about so far is Jair Alexander, who's still only 26, I think has a case to be, you know, at his best. He's as good as any cornerback in the NFL. We've seen a little bit more inconsistency and some injury from him as well. But, you know, a 26-year-old corner with that kind of upside is, you know, absolutely worthy of a first-round draft pick. So I think a couple of Packers players are options at this point. 
phenomenal shout. There was a, a chart, I want to say from Timo, um, and it had yards per coverage snap allowed and then like turnover, you know, interceptions. I think actually all, all um, you know, batted balls and interceptions. And so naturally you had like guys that played press man, you know, your Trevon Diggs would be in the top left corner where, yes, he's making a ton of plays on the ball, but he also is giving up, you know, a, a decent amount of yards per coverage snap. Jair Alexander was off in the upper right corner by himself, like super low yards per coverage snap and still turns the ball over and or um you know d- deflects passes i think he is the next corner i don't know if he's 26 like i thought he was probably 28 at this point no, um, he was young. i, I think it's a, a totally fine pick here at 32 all right let's do it let's give the pankers one of their own jair alexander uh and we're done there's our first round all done so let's recap where are we 21 uh, Detroit Lions, Patrick Sertan, 22, the Buffalo Bills, Andrew Thomas, 23, the Colts grabbed Deshaun Watson. That was our only quarterback, right, for the second chunk of this. Um, Arizona Cardinals at number 24 got Fred Warner, an off-the-ball linebacker, heresy. The Atlanta Falcons at number 25 got Max Crosby. The 49ers at 26 got Dexter Lawrence. The 27 pick with the Philadelphia Eagles was Quinnen Williams. Number 28, the Baltimore Ravens, Garrett Wilson. 29, the Patriots got Laramie Tunsil. Number 30, the Jags got Joey Bosa. Number 31, the Saints got Panay Sewell, a tackle. And number 32, the Packers rounded out the first round with cornerback Jair Alexander, the third cornerback off the board. So that's our first round, redrafting the entire NFL using the fantastic uh, randomizer, which worked. It worked the whole first round. We got it done. It didn't crap itself. It was, it's obviously some high-level, uh, whatever that is, coding, some high-level craftsmanship. Some great programming, some great coding. Uh, Shout-out to that creator. That was Emperor. Colton Hagen. That's his name. Colton Hagen. Built us our legit team randomizer. You're going to put that to you. I know you and Steve are going to put that to use. This was not the last time that that tool will be utilized. Not a chance. This is going to be a staple. The podcast is using our uh, our full randomizer. Um, but that's been awesome. That's a, it's a longer show than I think we were anticipating, but I think it's been a fun one. I, it, it creates awesome conversations. And then you also sit here and kind of appreciate how many awesome players there are in the NFL because there are some elite talents that did not get drafted in this draft. Right, absolutely. Um, and some elite uh, older players as well the teams are going to be able to circle back with and grab. How many quarterbacks did we end up drafting in that list? Uh, two, 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 one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, right? Nine quarterbacks went. So, okay. you know, two-thirds okay. of the league, essentially, got to stock their quarterback from uh, the second second round and beyond. Yeah, which I, I do think makes sense. Um, I mean, obviously, in a vacuum, probably you'd see quarterbacks go the first 20 picks maybe. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it almost we should run it back for a second round maybe. <laughs> uh, if we need to fill time again, like, all right, we gotta, let's fill out these rosters. Let's, let's help these teams build. Well, we'll see what kind of uh, feedback we get of this. If people hated it, we're probably yeah. not doing a second round. If people can't get enough of it, maybe we'll come back and, uh, and randomize. Uh, we don't need to randomize. We just reverse the order. Um, mm-hmm. But this has been awesome, Brad. Thanks for uh, stopping by on a Monday and helping us redraft the NFL. Hope you guys have all enjoyed listening, and we'll be back on Wednesday.